Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm James Rogers, and this is the History Hit World Wars podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the bombing of Dresden, which is without doubt one of the most controversial Allied bombing raids of the Second World War. The novel mix of high explosive and incendiary bombs caused untold destruction. Over three days, American and British bombers reduced this German city, an important transport hub, to rubble, leaving tens of thousands dead. And so in this unique episode of the History Hit World Wars podcast, first recorded for Dan Snow's History Hit, Dan talks with Ken Oatley, a veteran of World War II, who took part in the bombing of Dresden. Ken talks about what it was like and what he feels about having been involved in this aspect of the war. He was also one of the last men to hear Guy Gibson alive, and he took part in numerous other raids. And so in this podcast, we hear Ken talk about Dresden, but also about the broader wartime experiences that he underwent. There really is no better way to learn and reflect on this important, controversial aspect of history than through the testimony of those who were there. I was a navigator on mosquitoes for the last year of my service. I was flying for five years, but uh, in different capacities and so forth. I started off on the pilot's course and uh, went to Canada and was uh, nearly within a month of my pilot's uh, status. And uh, we were taken off that. A lot of the pilots were taken off in Canada five off of most courses, to become navigators, which seemed an awful waste of time, but uh, came back to England for another course on navigation. And they sent us down to South Africa. So I was down there for six, seven months. Then I came back, and the whole place was hiring with air crew from all over the world. They were coming in, and although I started flying months, years, several years before some of them, just couldn't get in line because they were all clogged up beforehand. So I didn't get flying until on the job I wanted to do until 44, going on to 45. I joined in 1940. Were you disappointed? Were you sad not to be a pilot? Uh, yes, I, I, I'd worked myself up to it. I was within a, a month of passing out. And uh, Pathfinder Force were being formed at that time. So tell me, what is a, what's a Pathfinder? Pathfinder, we located the targets for the Bomber Command, and uh, really and truly that was all we did. After we'd located it, we marked it and left it to them to get on with it. And how, how do you mark it? 
We would fly out in mosquitoes. The squadron put five navigators and five aircraft out on most sorties. We get there normally. the The timing was that we got to the target thirteen minutes before main force. Ten minutes to main force coming, the overhead two squadrons of Lancasters would come over and put thousands of uh, flares in the sky, which lit up the entire area of the city or whatever. And they say we we arrived there three minutes before. The um, overhead aircraft came and lit up the the target area. Once that was up, we were we were sitting on the outside of the of the city, and as soon as they put the cut the the aerial lights down, we went underneath them at fifteen hundred feet, and perhaps lower. Found the target, and whoever saw it first would call out Talio, what whatever his number was, it was one to five, and uh, he would make his dive in on the on the target market and then the 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 bombing the bombing um, the master bomber would say you're marking a hundred yards to the north south east or west whichever way it was back up accordingly so the next one that go in he would uh, he would do the same thing and he'd get a, a similar sort of uh, reply so when it was good enough the master bomber would say yes you're all all right now. All go ahead. Well, we used to carry four five hundred pound coloured bombs. In other words, we never dropped. Only, only on one occasion did we never drop uh, proper bombs. But these were all markers, and we used to carry four different colours. The the colour of the day would be known to whoever was coming, and. Um, the reason why we took several different colours is because the Germans had a habit of if we put red down in the first instance, they would light up red fires 20 miles away. So we would go down again and put a green or, or a yellow or something alongside it to make certain that we'd got the right one. And uh, then Master Bomber would call it, all, all right, go ahead, a bomb. You know, it's a flare on the ground and it's about 30 yards circle in other words it was a whole a whole ring of fire i wouldn't want to walk through it it was uh covered it filled the filled the whole circle up with with fire and it lasted 20 minutes so we would go in then after we would be standing off at about a thousand feet and whoever was nearest would call out tally o number two or tally o three and he would go down and mark in a dive shallow dive onto the target at about three, four hundred feet and drop the marker off, almost put it down on the ground so that it'd be in the right place. But you got an you got an extraordinary view of the German cities. You were you were very close to the ground. Dresden was the uh, it was a little little story right from the word go when we left the uh, the airfield. But now we we got there first and we sighted the target they they had the overhead lights had come on and we got on and underneath them and we sighted the target we were about to call it tallyho number two and uh, number one tallyho just on the fraction before we did so that was the flight commander so he had to go and take priority over us my pilot was extraordinarily good and most times 
our target, our, our marker went down the closest to the target every time. So we 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 did quite well on that one. Did you see the cities below you? you... Oh, yes, we were down to two or three hundred feet when we dropped our markers down. After we dropped our marker on Dresden, we flew away at the height that we were more or less when we dropped our markers. And my pilot was looking back to see how far his marker was uh, out. And I had to shout at him because the spires of the cathedral were looming up in front of us. And if I hadn't been looking forward instead of back, we would have hit the spires on the cathedral. Anyhow, we, we got away with that and flew on by the river and came up to the bridge. There, was, uh, there were two, two bridges over the, over the river there. We went over the river, went across the, the bridge and looked at the, the bank on the other side to see what was there. Then we came back and flew around the, the east of the city at about 500 feet. It was brilliantly lit up. The, uh, the amount of light was, uh, was laid by the, by the uh, Lancasters. It was like daylight down there. You can see the, everything on the ground as if it was daylight. And there was not a soul to be seen anywhere. There was no movement anywhere. And we stayed about looking around the, around the city at that time until the number one called us to leave the, leave the target. And we just about left the target and as the first heavy bombs were going down. So we, we just turned our backs on them and came home. You must have seen. How many missions did you fly over occupied Europe? I only did 22 in 10 months. We had 15 crews on the station, and we only went out in fives. We only went on chosen targets that our, our services were required on. So we weren't, the whole squadron wasn't occupied every night by a long chalk. We had to find oil refineries that are out in the country that, um, it was a speciality of ours. We could find find these things way out of the normal run, and uh, specific things. Our last operation was the Tondberg oil refinery in in uh, in the Oslo Fjord. We did several of those. Did you like the Mosquito? Do you feel safe in it? Oh, that was the finest aircraft that was ever built. It was uh, it was a pleasure to be in it. Uh, we loved every moment of it, and uh, I, I, I had hundreds of hours one way and another in it. I stayed on for an extra year in the Air Force, not by choice, I must admit, but uh, I was asked if I would join a, a special unit that was formed to um, try and find new methods of, uh, of bombing and more accurate uh, backups for the, the bombing. But um, I, I think really it was a waste of time because the, towards the end of the war we had got so professional with it that it just everything went like clockwork. We would get there at the target 13 minutes before bombing was due to start. That was this three minutes, give or take a little bit, to, to get there. So that left us 10 minutes. Then the two overhead squadrons of Lancasters would come in and drop their thousands of flares over the target area. Then we went in underneath at 1,500 feet 
or below, found the target, no matter what it was, it could have been a, a hut in a field or something like that, anything that they wanted to give us, we, we could find. And we would find the target and mark it, and then the bombers would come in, as they did on Dresden, They'd started a, a new idea then of dividing the bomber fleet into three. The main force was was five group who came straight in on our market because we were five group and they bombed the city. The next group came in and followed in on a on a angle of thirty forty five degrees one way and when they got through the, the Another group came in from the other side, and so that the bombing of the three groups covered the, the whole the whole target area. If you can understand me. Now, let's you know, talking about Dresden. Did you realise the unimaginable weight of incendiaries and high explosives that were going to rain down on the city that night? Did you know it was a was it was it a particularly big raid, or was it just one of one like any other raid? No, most of most of our raids were picked out for the special treatments and we didn't do all of them by any means but if there was any speciality required we 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 were only too pleased to uh, to do it we took pride in our work did did you think as you were flying around having marked up the target next time i see this city a lot of it will be destroyed did you ever think about that uh no not really but i must say i did go back to dresden about 5 years ago to to see what it was like. It, apparently, the uh, what I've seen of it since the, since the uh, bombing, it, practically everything was burnt down. It was a complete chaos. But going back to uh, in the last five years, everything has been built up very much as it probably was. Uh, all the public buildings were exactly the same as they were. They used the same stone. The Church of Our Lady, they were rebuilding with all new stones, and that that wasn't hit by bombs. That uh, suffered from damage by fierce heat, and it took away the, the strength of the stone, and it just collapsed after three days. Do you think about the, the people on the ground, you know, the people that were then, you know, suffered so much as a result of the, you know, the bombs that the Lancasters then dropped on them? Is that, does that, or, or is that just part of your job, and you, you, don't, you don't worry about it? We didn't think of the that have the opportunity to think about them the, the the number of people that were killed there i've i've heard it on the, on the television the amount of um, casualties were there was incomparable with the the japanese bombings of okinawa and uh, when we were there as i say 5 years ago we we joined in a group that were being led around the city by um, a German lecturer, and uh, we thought to keep safekeeping, we would stay at the back and uh, listen to what was going on. And uh, unfortunately, he uh, he turned round and he said, "Are there any English people in the group?" And uh, we rather meekly put our hands up, and the, the party parted company in, in, into a passage through for us, which uh, <laughs> we didn't know whether we were going to be thumped or whatever when we went through. Anyhow, it all worked out very well, and we accompanied the, the chap who was giving the, the lecture on it. On it. And uh, apparently, according to him, the losses in Dresden was anything up to 
200,000. They didn't know how many had died because there were so many fugitives, people coming away from the East Russian front that uh, the whole place was full of troops going through and people coming the other way. And the, the casualty rate was terribly fierce. And pe people who really had no need to have been killed, I would say. So how did that make you feel? Uh, well, <laughs> we should have felt guilty, but quite honestly, we were sent there to do a job and we, we did what uh, we had to do, whether there was five people there or 50,000. You couldn't um, think what it was. We just had to stop what was going on. And, uh, and I think that that's accelerated by, I'm quite sure that accelerated the end of the war, no end. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How old were you when you were flying at 200, 500 feet above the streets of Dresden? I was 22. We didn't even think about it. I mean, the, we had a job to do, and we were just professional in, in doing the job, what what it was, how it was affecting other people, that it was just a sort of the job. Did your squadron suffer uh, badly? In, in uh, were mosquitoes safer to be in than than your yes. co your colleagues in the Lancasters? Yes, our casualty rate: we did fifteen hundred sorties and lost nineteen aircraft. That was 30, thirty-eight crew and uh, nineteen aircraft on, out of the fifteen hundred sorties which really was minimal. So we, 
we had every confidence that we were going to come back. In fact, the time I was there, uh, we only had two casualties. One, unfortunately, he he was on a, a, bombing, a bombing practice at Waynefleet, and he was rather a, a big chap. And uh, the, the the smoke bomb started to fire in the bomb bay, and the pilot ordered him to bail out. And he put his parachute on his chest and got the door open underneath and went to go out and got stuck halfway and couldn't get out and couldn't get back in. And the pilot had to go out to the top and leave him in the aircraft, which was uh, rather unfortunate. But that was the only casualty that um, really that we, we had outside of the operations that we were on. Did the, did the German fighters... Were you just too fast and too agile? Did they leave you alone? Why, why, why did so many of you survive? Well, we always, we always went in, in darkness, and that was a, a good start. The aircraft was in wood. The only metal on it were the engines. And, of course, radar didn't uh, work on, on a wooden aircraft, which was a, a good thing. And we were much faster than them anyway. There were... We, there was no trouble from our point of view. We flew out more or less in our own way. We went singly. We didn't go together. We, got, we met up at the target, did what we had to do, and then came home again and uh, flew our own way virtually. We, we, we were given sort of, uh, instructions as to where, where we should go and, and so forth, but we, we really did our own thing. It was much more fun doing it there. We saw nothing at all because it was dark all the time. The only time I ever saw anything, which was a, an unusual thing for, for most people, we were coming back over Holland about four, half past four in the morning, and it was just getting light, and a V2 rocket took off about a half a mile away from us, which was a, a sight for, a, I don't suppose anybody else ever saw that's that's remarkable. Now, speaking of Holland, didn't you also fly with Guy Gibson over Holland on the last fatal mission? Yes, uh, uh, we were flying number number two on that, and uh, we we went in and we'd done the job. Number one went in and dropped his markers. We followed in and dropped our markers, and uh, Gibson said, "You're not marking the target in the right." area. He said, all markers leave the area. I'm coming down to market myself. Well, this was the first time he'd ever done the job. But he ne we never heard a word from him But from that moment. He never came down. And so my number one and we followed in number two to check on the markers that we'd laid previously. And they were all working perfectly all right. And uh, that was the end of it as far as we were concerned. But uh, Gibson never came home, and there were so many different ideas as to what had happened to him. And the fact of the matter was that he'd only ever flown a Lancaster on a, a Mosquito on a couple of occasions, and not much more than half an hour probably on each time. And he had no idea, because they weren't all the same, he couldn't find where the turnover cocks for the petrol from the outer tanks to the inner main tanks to get home. Getting to the target, which was 
sort of like the normal uh, length, we could get there on the on the wing tanks. So it was normal for us to turn over and come home on the mains. But he couldn't find the turnover cogs. And he didn't have enough petrol to get home. So he just ran out of petrol and crashed in the dark. That was uh, what happened to him. And you were almost, well, pretty much the last person on earth to hear his voice? Probably was, yes. Yes, I, I heard. I mean, there were just the two of us in the aircraft, but the others, the other four of them all heard the same thing. But uh, at that moment in time, we couldn't understand what had happened to him. So you think it was pilot error that, that ended up with his crash? Yes, it was just lack of uh, knowledge of the particular aircraft. I think he had a Canadian one, which had several things quite different. And what was it like? Did you work with 617 Squadron, the famous Dam Buster Squadron? I, no. We, we've, uh, we had 627 Squadron and 617 Squadron together at Woodall Spa. So we were with them the whole time we were operating. So there was a certain amount of uh, cooperation between the two, one way and another, but uh, we never operated together. And did you take part in the, in the Normandy landings at all? No, we were all ready to go. I was flying, flying Stirlings at that time, and uh, we had bombs all around the dispersal points there waiting to go, and uh, we just weren't, weren't required, so we didn't uh, get the opportunity for that. And I only ever did one, one operation in France, daylight raid, Really, they didn't know what there was there. They knew there was something there. There was a big woods outside the Lille d'Adam, which is a, a wood north of Paris. And they thought that the flying bombs were coming from this particular woods. Or at least that's what they told us. So we went out to uh, market for the, for the main force and uh, put our markers down in exactly the right place. And... Uh, well, you know, that's the wood. So we flew away for a little while and uh, came back again to have a look, see what was going on. And I've never seen anything quite like it. It was a column of black smoke that looked like a box turned on its end, stayed completely square. And uh, so we realized that it was here. we must have uh, done all that was necessary. But it was not a, it was not a flying bomb site. It was the main German... Uh, ammunition and sort of replacement base for the German army in that area. And that was just before they, they were held up for, a, for about six weeks out of one city, weren't they, in France? Of course. After, after our little entree into, into that, the uh, army got through fairly, fairly quickly because I think the tanks were put out of action for fuel and, uh, and uh, that was... Uh, uh, one one little uh, point up to us. Uh, you certainly are very proud of what you achieved in the war. But no, not pride. Uh, we got satisfaction that what we had done or what we did ourselves, we judged ourselves on, on whether our navigation was was good, how the marking was. Uh, I've I've got records of, of uh, a lot of those things and. Uh, we we were considered on on my commission papers. I, I, I was a, I was a, a better than average navigator, and with my pilot, we were the best, one of the best crews on the squadron, which I was quite pleased with. Did you looking back now? Did you did you enjoy those experiences? 
I suppose in some respect, we didn't even think about it from that point point of view. We just went up to flights at nine o'clock in the morning. We were on operations that night and uh, we carried on sort of getting ourselves together a little bit during the course of the day. Went to briefing, came back, had a going away uh, breakfast, so to speak, and just tootled off and uh, took off at the takeoff time, got there at the time we were required, did the job we had to do, turned around and come home again, had another breakfast and went back to bed. Just went down to flights the next morning to see what was uh, going on. It was it was a very casual thing. I don't think anybody was really all that hepped up about it, you know. It uh, it took it as a daily grind and uh, there were much worse things that we we could have been doing. Were you aware that it, you were glad you weren't in the infantry or... or... Well, that was why I joined the Air Force. I thought I'd rather... I'd rather face the Air Force than muck and bullets on the, on the ground. Although I can only honestly, honestly say that I only recall being shot at once in all the time I was there, and that was um, after the um, Munchen Gladbeck. Uh, that was the one that Gibson uh, uh, was lost on, and we were, we were coming away from the target, following the railway lines. We were about 50 feet at that time, and uh, they, they shone up like silver, under the illumination from above, and they sh- that shone for quite some way away from the edge of the target. And uh, we were flying about 50 feet above the, above the uh, rails, and, and then suddenly we realized there was a wood on the left-hand side of us as we were going down with trees going up to about 60, 80 feet, and uh, nothing on the right-hand side. And then all of a sudden, the tracer was starting to come past the, the window. I could put my hand out and have picked up one or two of them, they came off over the tailplane and across the main plane, past my window. And I said I could have reached them if I could have opened the window. But that's the only time that uh, we we were in any any real danger, trouble. It, it, it was it, it was it was quite quite acceptable the whole thing really. I enjoyed, if you might say, the whole the whole of my operations with the Air Force. The end, I was going to. Um, I was told I was leading the the fleet out to out to Okinawa, as I was the most experienced and trained navigator of the the squadron. We were leading the 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 Air Force out to Okinawa, and uh, it was all we were all rushing around getting things together and so on and so forth, and then. Unfortunately, the, the Americans dropped the, the atom bomb and uh, then everything fell by the wayside. And uh, Were you keen to get out to the Pacific? Oh, I should have liked to have gone out there. It would have been an experience. I had been Canada and I'd been to South Africa. And it would have been a, another thing to have navigated my way out there. But just as well, it, uh, it didn't come to that, I think, that... Uh, it was there was a long way to go to Japan from Okinawa, and uh, it was sea all the way, and we went singly. And uh, if we'd been shot down or anything like that, we would never have been found. We would have gone out in darkness anyway. After the war, you're still a man in your mid twenties. Did you miss the excitement of the war? No, not really. I was I was in business in my father's business. And I was fully occupied. I liked developing, I liked building, and all my time I, sp- I spent in developing the business of, of my former father. So you were busy? 
I've I've spent my time doing always building and always making. I mean, I built four sports cars when I in, when I was seventy. Well, thank you so much for sharing those stories with me. That's it's been a, a great privilege to hear them. Thank you. I'm sorry that um, <clears throat> I've got such a rough voice this afternoon. That, uh, Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.